better than a coffee. It's two coffees. Um, thank you guys so much. Um, this morning, what I want to look at in this passage is uh, the, the way that Jesus turns our despair into joy, or the way that knowing Jesus turns despair into joy. And um, anyone in this room has probably, at some stage, experienced some uh, form of despair in your life, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I just want to read to you um, something from uh, Macbeth, which is one of Shakespeare's uh, most well-known plays, and and probably this is one of Shakespeare's best-known speeches. Uh, This is what Macbeth says. He says, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. Do you see the drag? (laughs) And all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player or actor that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more, forgotten. It is a tale, this life. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Macbeth uh, is a powerful man. He has a kingdom, he's in love, he has a romance, he's an evil man, and he thinks he's got his life made. Health, wealth, prosperity, love, he's got everything. And all of a sudden, an enemy is at the gates, It's going to take his kingdom from him, the love of his life takes her life, goes insane, and, and takes her life, and Macbeth suddenly realizes, well, thinks, life is meaningless. It all amounts to nothing. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. What's the point? It's all a waste of time. And we can all get there. We don't have to get there in a massive existential way. We can get there through little ways. We can put our hope in, um, you know, in that friend is always going to be there for us. And that friend lets us down. And we're in despair. Our friendship is nothing in the end. Uh, That car, you know, when you get that Holden Commodore V8, I think. I I shouldn't go down the car. I don't know what I'm talking about. But something that people want. And then they get that and it breaks down and you used to go to the mechanic or someone bumps into it and you're like, ugh. Or you get that house of your dreams or you get the partner of your dreams or you get the job of your dreams or the promotion or the bank account that actually has some savings in it. You're earning more than you're spending, and you, get, and you realize none of it actually satisfies. There's some despair. There's, this is nothing. What is going to answer the problem that I have? Last night, I heard the commentator say during the Frio game, and I'm sorry for those of you who say uh, recorded and going to watch it today. <coughs> put your fingers in your ears because I'm going to tell you what happened. But the commentator said of the Frio Dockers, uh, they have turned this crowd from despair to delirium. Something happened in the game. Uh, the Dockers, 42 points down, end up winning the game. The, the crowd has gone from despair, 60,000 people, to joy because of a victory. But if you are a Bulldogs fan, oh, didn't this happen last year? Same stadium, same month of the year, or maybe four weeks early. So this morning I want to look at the symptoms of despair, the cause of despair, 
and the cure for despair. The symptoms of despair, the cause for despair, and then the cure for despair. So the symptoms of despair, what, what is despair quickly? Despair is a hopelessness. The way that hopelessness is experienced, because I just want you to kind of interact with it. Maybe you can think of someone like this, or maybe you are in despair right now, and, and that's glad that you're here this morning. So you can't get, you know, if someone has hope, you can't get them down. Welcome back, Carl and Emily. I know I saw you last week, but you were in Germany for four or five weeks, and they were back last week helping out in kids. Um, just welcome back. Good to see you guys. If someone has hope, you can't get them down. You can try to get them down, but you can't get them down because they have hope. They see beyond the problem. They see outside of the problem, and you might try to get them down. How do you feel about that? That must be really tough for you. No, it's okay. I'll be all right. It'll work out. It's okay. God's in control. <sighs> You're so boring to talk to. Someone with despair, you can't get them up. Hey, look, your life's not over. You don't understand. It doesn't happen to you. And so you have these kind of extremes. Someone you can't get down, someone you can't get up. The difference is hope, despair. That's what despair is. Despair is not distraction. Distraction is when you find your joy in something else other than you should. When you find joy in in something that's not ultimate, you're distracted. So, you know, God should be our ultimate joy, but uh, let's say my, my marriage is my ultimate joy. And so God doesn't give me much joy. That's not despair. That's not spiritual despair. That's distraction. I have an idol that I'm hoping will fulfill my life, will give me fulfillment or satisfaction in life. Despair is no hope. All right, so Jesus asks three questions, and this is how we're going to look at the text, is through Jesus' questions. The first question he says to them is, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Jesus knows all things. He's not asking them because he doesn't know what conversation they're having. But he's asking them, why the despair? What's going on that you guys are e-oring down the road? <laughs> Sounds like Caleb playing uh, Dutch Blitz. <laughs> You'll have to play Dutch Blitz to know what I'm talking about. But notice a few things. Why the despair? Here's the symptoms. First of all, they keep poor company. People in despair are magnetic, but they find people just like them who will walk down the same sluggish road together, agreeing with each other about how bad things are. So when we go down despair, and just to say, you know, I go down this road as much as anyone else, so there's no fingers pointed at anyone. And if you're a visitor here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But when you go down this road, you go find people who will endorse your narrative who will agree with your narrative, who will approve of your narrative. Man, I'm really struggling with this. this I think this sucks. And they go, yeah, man, I can, I can see it. I agree. That's, did you know? And they might even remind you of things you've forgotten about. It's worse than you think. <laughs> oh, man. You attract poor company. Number two, it's a sluggish journey. Jesus catches up to them quickly. You know, he doesn't, it doesn't say he supernaturally exits the scene. But he doesn't supernaturally enter the scene. It says Jesus caught up to them. Jesus was able to, to just walk up to them. Why? Because they're walking like this. <laughs> Seven miles, 11 kilometers. Oh, hot. Have you felt that? I know we're having a bit of a chuckle, but have you felt that? It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. What is the point? Man, 
You just want to find someone who will whinge with you or listen to you whinge? Now if you chuckle, it's because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Welcome to my world. Thirdly, another symptom is withdrawal or disengagement. They're walking in the wrong direction. They're supposed to be in the group of disciples. They're supposed to be with Jesus' people. But they're basically just going back to their old plan. That Gave up on that. Let's just go do something else. Let's head back to our old village. Let's go back home. They're just disengaged. Just the two of them. We don't know if it's, a, if it's two friends, if it's two brothers, if it's a husband and wife. We don't know, we don't know who, who the two are. We just know two of them are disengaging from the disciples. Number four, there's, there's, a, there's blindness. They just don't understand what's going on. When you listen to the narratives that we share, they just don't really get it. Have you ever had a story that, or something gone on in your, in your life and you misinterpreted it? Have you ever misinterpreted anything in your life? Have you ever done it negatively? I mean, it's nice when you assume, it's nice if you're the kind of person that assumes the best and it's not always the best. That's great. You can, I'd love to be your friend. But are you, are you, have you ever been the kind of person that assumes the worst and it's not always the worst? Or just didn't understand? Number whatever, they have these discouraging conversations, which I've already talked about. But when you're in despair, your conversations never end in health. They never end in something good. You may not feel like you've gossiped. You may not feel like you've, been, you've said anything evil. But your conversations aren't pressing each other towards community or towards faith or towards trust. The conversations are really encouraging one another to believe your narrative, to do what you think is best for yourself. Number whatever, there's kind of a hard-heartedness. They, they just kind of think everyone's on their page. They kind of say to Jesus, when you ask another question, we'll get there like, don't you know? It's like the only thing anyone's talking about. And that's how we feel in despair. It's like, how can anyone not understand what I'm going through? I am the center of the universe and my story should be known by everyone. What do you mean you don't get it? How do you not? You're so insensitive. Again, we might not say these things, but our hearts kind of feel them. And lastly, for now, this is kind of self-reliance. We're just going to get on with our, own, with our lives as best as we think we, we can, we should. Who can you trust when you, don't, you can't trust anyone else? Yourself. Who do you trust when a friend's hurt you? Yourself. Who do you turn to when you're arguing with your spouse? Nas and I never argue. But if, in theory, we did, who do you turn to? I have it on good authority that it's yourself. When God's not working out the way you think He's supposed to work out, who do you turn to? Yourself. Who do you turn to when your dream job's no longer the dream? Yourself. Who do you turn to when your kids... kids Aren't these Einstein geniuses who are going to solve your every problem and give you purpose and meaning that you lack in life? Yourself. Sorry, my kids are fantastic. You guys are wonderful. You're in no way a major disappointment. And I do mean that, not sarcastically. Um, despair often leads to disengagement. 
That's the, that's the summary. What is the symptom? If we can boil it down in, into kind of its essence, you know, on the stove, put despair in a pot on the stove and just boil it away till it gets down to a nutshell. What is the essence of despair? How do you see it? The symptom that you see? A disengagement. A turning into ourselves. A turning to ourselves. Can I just pause here? This isn't in the notes, but can I just pause to say, in our secular society, one of the major dangers is that philosophically we are encouraging people all the time to look to themselves. If that is the outcome of despair, we are asking people to live as if they are hopeless until they are hopeless. It's not a great worldview. So what's the cause of despair? If, that's, if those are some of the symptoms, what are the causes Jesus asked the second question as if, again, he doesn't know. What, you know his first question, what is the conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? Why, why are the despair, he's saying? Second question, they say, like, don't you know? It's this thing everyone's talking about at the moment. And he says, well, what thing? Well, what, what's going on? Jesus is saying, tell me what has happened as you understand it. Jesus knows exactly what's happened. Uh, it was Jesus that went through it. <laughs> tell me what you think is going on. And listen to uh, Cleopas. This is the gospel to, according to Cleopas. This is the preaching of the gospel. It's a wonderful account of the gospel that's only lacking in one point that leads to great despair. In other words, Cleopas is preaching brilliantly. He only gets one thing wrong. Cleopas says, okay, here's how it goes. The whole mess concerns Jesus of Nazareth. Great, that's exactly what the gospel is about, Jesus of Nazareth. Good, good start. Um, Jesus seemed clearly to be sent as a special messenger from God. Good, on a right track. Jesus is from God. We just write Nicene Creed, God from God. Yep, light from light. Got it. Yep, great. His actions and words had power. Both God and anyone else observed. Wonderful. There was something supernatural about him that anyone could see. Great. That's good gospel. But our leaders did everything to crucify Jesus. That's correct. We watched with horror as Jesus died. Fantastic. That's true. And then our hopes died with him. <coughs> Hold on. That's not a good gospel. That's not good news. Imagine all of our songs this morning we sang. Uh, you're the king of creation. I, I don't even know if that's a song, but I'm going <laughs> to just add. And you came to man. And then you died for our sins. And we wished you were alive so we could tell you thank you. None of us would be going, and we wished you were alive so we could tell you thank you. We'd be going, oh, and we wished you were alive. And what is the point? What? So, so what? Now we're going to die too? And then what? Oh, can, you imagine the, can you imagine what worship would be like? Yeah, I'm not coming to church today. Why? Because we may worship again. It's the most depressing 30 minutes of my week. We're going to sing songs again about how close this guy came to saving us, but he couldn't get himself out of the grave. And he's just going to, he just ended up like all of us do anyway. He's the same as Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else had this message, died, end of story. That's Cleopas' gospel, verse 21. We thought, we began, we, we believed, we hoped that he was the one that was from God. 
And then he says, anyway, a few of our women uh, went to the grave this morning. And just so you know, let me just move on. A few of the morning went to the grave. They couldn't find his body. Uh, it, it's gone missing. And then they said they saw an angel, and the angel said he's alive. And they didn't see him, but then they came to us and told us that. And then, you know, the, then the big boys were like, well, we better put on our big boy pants and go down and see if this is true because, you know, like we're the inner circle. Peter, Peter and, and the guys who are on the inner circle of Jesus, top three disciples, Peter runs down. And then they came back. Peter came and said the same thing. He's gone. His body's missing. And so we're just confused. You know, like, what, what's going on? And there's all this political struggle. There's rumors now that, that are getting out there that we've stolen his body. We just want out. We want to get away. We're just going home. It's just a big mess. So they despaired because they didn't understand the gospel that they believed. Are you in danger of not knowing but believing? Is there any danger that you know about God and Jesus, but you don't believe that Jesus is not the only way, but the entire way to salvation? Is there any danger of not believing God about our lives, that He's got us in His hand, that He's our Father and He's adopted us as His children? Is there any danger of not believing God about what goes on in your life? You know, there's difficult days come. Things happen which we don't have to love. Is there any danger of not believing that God is in control? Is there any danger of not believing that God cares for this world? You know, we pray for uh, Pakistan and we pray in big numbers. A million people displaced? Do, is any danger that we forget that God doesn't pr- think of million people displaced, but of every single person without a home? Is there any danger of us forgetting that whatever moment we stop to pray, isn't it, aren't we fascinating? We stop to pray for five minutes in church and confuse ourselves about where God is. God has never stopped for a moment thinking about, feeling about, compassionately uh, caring about every single person that's displaced in Pakistan. We may not think about it again today, and yet we still kind of feel like we can put God on trial. Is any danger of not believing God about the things that cause us worry and anxiety? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Let Each day has got enough troubles of its own. You have a Father in heaven who knows what you need. Is there any worry of not trusting God about that? <laughs> Do any of you feel like, you know, I've got, I've got to worry enough because God's not, God's not worrying enough, so I've got to worry for both of us. God's not acting anxiously. If God was anxious, He'd do something now. Do you know that? If God was anxious, He would do something immediately when you think it needs to be done. But He's not anxious, so He doesn't always work in your time frame or my time frame, and so we have to be anxious for both of us. Is there any danger of not believing God is in control at every point in history? Is there any danger of us taking our own lives by our own hands and leading ourselves on our own path of despair? Is there any danger of that? Okay, number three. That's, that's the cause. 
The cause is not, not uh, believing God, not trusting God. So here's a cure. Number three, Jesus' third question. He says to them, after he's listened to Cleopas' gospel and how disappointing it is that Jesus died and how could it be that he was crucified and went to the grave if he's supposed to save the world, Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, Jesus is saying, was the suffering not just an entry into his glory? Uh, Wasn't this God's plan? Wasn't this just the natural next step in what God was doing? That's a whole different take. And what Jesus does is he begins to unpack from Moses. So um, we don't know exactly what Jesus unpacked, but what Jesus did is he he, uh, opened up the Old Testament to them Where's the end of the Old Testament? About here. That's good. There you go. That's the end. There. All of this. Along the road, he began talking to them and explaining how the scriptures were going to be fulfilled in him. He preached. Wouldn't it be great to hear that sermon? If we ever preach... No, sorry. we, We do preach through the Old Testament. When we preach through the Old Testament, not if we ever. When we preach through the Old Testament... You need to hold us accountable that we point you to Jesus. In other words, if we're preaching about David and Goliath, don't let us send you out of here saying, you know, here's the moral of the story. You know, David killed that that giant and he saved his nation. If you really trust God, if you really believe God, God will let you do mighty things and help people around you. That's not at all the message. The message is that God is going to send the Son and He will fight our battle for us and He will conquer sin and death and, for the, for, and he, he will have a victory for all His people. And we're just the people who go along for the ride. You've got to help us make sure we're always pointing to Jesus. Jesus did that. And He explained how the Scriptures... So I, I thought, let's just look at a few. Amos. Maybe Amos 8, 9. Amos t- uh, uh, prophesies that there will be a time when the sun will go down at midday and darkness will cover the earth. It will be a terrible day. What happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross? Midday. He said that darkness covered the earth. The earth rumbled. An unnatural, supernatural darkness covered the earth. Amos. Amos prophesied that hundreds of years before. What about Genesis 22? God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son. But then when Abraham is about to do it, he says, no, stop. And he provides a a thicket, a a lamb in the thicket, sorry, an animal in the thicket for it to be crucified instead. In other words, even in the picture there, God provides another way for this to be done. Well, we find out that uh, our sin is deserving of death, but uh, God provides His Son. What about Genesis 45-50, to the story of Joseph and his brothers? Joseph is beaten by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. They hoped he would die and be forgotten. Then they lived as if he were dead. They reported to his dad that he was dead. But then a famine comes into the land and they have nothing. Their goods are dissipated. And they go to Egypt looking for some grain to eat. And Joseph has been, restore, uh, been, he's, he's been uh, promoted to levels of power. He's second in command to Pharaoh. And he restores his whole family with what? 
What does He do? He forgives them. They don't pay anything. They don't earn it. They don't grovel. He restores them. He, he leans in. He says, I have longed for this. I have, I have eagerly desired. This has been my heart to bring you back, to restore you, to give you every good thing. And under Joseph, his whole family is restored and they grow and they multiply until they are such a great nation that the next Pharaoh tries to destroy them. The next Pharaoh's down, tries to destroy them. But Jesus is the, is the true Joseph, the fulfillment of Joseph, who is our brother sold into slavery, who is beaten and crucified and enters death, but raises, he's raised to life, and, and um, Matthew says in Matthew 28, he is given a name above every name. He's raised and promoted to power above all things. All authority in heaven and earth is his. And what does he do? He leans in. It's his very heart to pick up sinners. How? With His forgiveness. With His blood that was shed. And He restores us and His family is growing and growing and growing all over the world. How did we get there? How did we earn it? What did we do? Nothing. It's His heart leaning into us. He says to us, it's my very heart to save you. This is the fulfillment of everything I want. Everything I've done is for this. What about Psalm 22? David wrote, they have pierced my hands and feet. David was never crucified. What's he talking about there? How does David even know how to write those words? Hundreds of years before Christ came. David cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God never forsook David. He's prophetically writing the psalm he doesn't even fully understand. And then Jesus is crucified. His hands and his feet are pierced. And from the cross, he cries out in fulfillment of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is declaring people, everything that has been told about in the Old Testament, here it is, here it's happening. Have you ever read Psalm 22, which they would have over and over and over? Here it is, pierced for uh, your transgressions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Using the very language of the Psalm, he couldn't more clearly be saying, guys, it's me. I know it doesn't look like it, but remember, it's been prophesied this was going to happen. What about Psalm 69? It says, For my thirst they gave me wine to drink. From the cross. From the cross, Jesus again, shouting out this message. Guys, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. He says, I thirst. Did Jesus really need something to drink? No, Jesus really needed to fulfill the text. Fulfill the old... And they offer Him with hyssop. They offer him some sour wine to drink in fulfillment. They don't even know that they're fulfilling the Scriptures. What about Isaiah 52 and 53? It says that God's servant would be despised and rejected, that he'd be beaten beyond recognition, that he'd be crushed for our sins, not for his, and his punishment would bring us peace. His punishment would bring us peace. I don't know what text Jesus talked to them on the road. But what we know is, if you know, these are, these are a smattering of them. There's, there's so many more. So Jesus showed that He was the fulfillment of their longing. God is in control. So what's the cure for despair as I bring this to a landing? I just want you to notice a few things. Let's get back to the disciples, two of them, walking along the road. Jesus comes to them. Number one, Jesus draws near to them. 
They weren't running around trying to find him, doing their best. Their curiosity and confusion didn't cause them to check every grave, run to the authorities. Where is he? Where is he? We've heard. Is it true? They just going to... He came to them. My friends, if you are stuck in despair, the good news is Jesus comes to you. He comes to meet us. Number two, Jesus challenges them. He doesn't join in their unhealthy conversation, their whinging, blah, 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 and he doesn't go, oh, guys, I'm so sorry, that was a bit tough. I know it must be hard for you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Jesus coming to those disciples, man, it must be really tough for you. I'm sorry for confusing you. I, I probably could have done a better job of telling you. I mean, I thought the whole Old Testament and the clarity I gave on the cross would have been an inkling, but um, my bad. <laughs> he challenges them. What's going on? Why are you thinking what you're thinking? Why are you believing what you believe? What's, what's happening in your heart? Now, notice what the challenge is like in tone. Later on in the evening, Jesus is in, he's the one that blesses the food and, and distributes the bread. That means that they have recognized him as someone more important than them, and they've given him the seat of honor at the table, and they don't know who he is yet. He's a stranger to them, but within a couple of hours, he's already been promoted to the most important person they know. So the challenge must come in a way that draws them towards him, not makes them go. Remember as well in the story, they're going into the home and he's pretending. We, someone in a community group did this wonderfully. I forget who it was, but they were like, Jesus is like, well, I'm just going to be pretending to like go this way. It says like Jesus, Jesus kind of pretended to go on and they said, no, no, please come and eat with us. They were drawn to him. They wanted more fellowship with him. So even in his challenge, there was a warmth and an openness. They clung to him. Jesus corrects them with the scripture. He doesn't just share his opinion about things and, well, you know, I think. He goes, let's open up the text. What does the Bible actually say? I don't want you to believe me. Let's just both agree to believe the word. Let's just both agree to believe what God's word says. Jesus fellowships with them. He goes and eats with them. Sits at a table with them. You don't have to go to a special building to meet Jesus. You don't have to go to a special building. I, I, there's, this, there's this picture um, somewhere on the internet that's got all these beautiful temples, church and churches. And then it's got a couple people walking outside them. And in each picture it shows, it goes, uh, building, temple. And the person is circled. And the, the building is point. So building, that's a building. This is a temple. And it just does it over and over and over. You, you don't meet God in special buildings and this, you know, they're, they're beautiful. Don't knock them. They're gorgeous. And you can meet God in them as well. But, but God just wants to fellowship with you. You can meet Him in the seat you're in right now. You can meet Him in your car. You can meet Him in the park. You can meet Him at home. You might be uncomfortable to meet Him in the bathroom. He's not. You can meet Him in, in your bedroom. You can meet Him in wherever. Jesus opens their eyes. What a wonderful way of showing us, even though they were wrong, even though they despaired, even though they were walking away from where they should have been, there is so many things he could have pointed at and just got, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this and you've done that and you've done this. He doesn't. He just shows them. At the end of the day, you can't do it. You need me to open up your eyes. And he opens their eyes to see Jesus. If you're struggling in despair, you need Jesus to touch you, to 
to touch your heart, to touch your eyes, to see and believe. So what do you have when Jesus turns your despair into joy again? What is the result? And this really is, I'm going to land and Jip can take us into communion. What is the result when Jesus turns your despair into joy? Three things we see with them. Number one, they have faith in Jesus. Their faith is restored. They, they hoped before. They had, a, they had something of faith before. It wasn't that they were faithless, but they had a deep and profound faith this time. They were, they were yes, He is the one. Number two, they, they, they were re-engaged in community. They ran back on the same road of despair. They walked like this. They went sprinting back the same seven miles to the community that they had left. They were re-engaged in community. And number three, they had this overflowing witness. They couldn't help but share. This, this happened to us, and this happened, and our hearts were burning inside of us while he spoke. We didn't realize it, but then we saw it was Jesus, and he's the one hoped for. And now Cleopas is telling the gospel according to Cleopas is complete, lacking nothing. He is the one we hope for. He came from, this Jesus, He came from God. He's God of God. And He died in our place. And He has been raised to life. And now He is calling us to Himself. We are His people. He is our God. We are His disciples. And we can go everywhere in the world and share what He has done. Faith in Jesus. Engagement in community. Overflowing witness. Doesn't this just sound like normal church? I believe in Jesus. He puts me in community and I share him with others. It, it doesn't necessarily look shocking. It, it doesn't necessarily look weird or wild. Now, when Jesus opens your eyes, man, you're going to be running around. You'll probably be, be in, in Perth, like standing there with a microphone and a speaker telling everyone they need to turn or they'll burn. Probably not. It's probably not going to look like that. Man, you're going to be running around and everywhere, everyone your shadow touches, they're just going to be healed because you're just going to be overflowing with Jesus. Well, potentially at times. That happened to Peter once. But probably not. Your shadow is probably just going to be a shadow. When Jesus turns our despair into joy... Our faith in Jesus is locked in. He's the one I've hoped for. Nothing else can replace Him. He's everything I need. I'm in community that's pretty messed up and confused. These are the same people that were confused hours before, not knowing where they're going. Woman seeing angels, guys going to the tomb. Oh my goodness, what's happening? You know, it's okay to be in community that doesn't know what's going on. That's all right. What's happening? What's Jesus doing in your life? I don't really know. I'm confused. I'm struggling with despair. It's okay, man. There's been disciples who've been there before. Let's go together. Let's pray. Let's go to Jesus. Let's trust Him. Whatever He started in your life, He'll bring it to completion. An overflowing witness. Overflowing witness doesn't have to be weird. Overflowing witness can just be, could I tell you the best news I've ever heard? Can I share it with you? Can I tell you what God's done? 
If you, think about it, if you shared the gospel, just, just think about saying the gospel. God has sent His Son into the world to live in our place, to die in our place, crucified, suffered, was suffering not necessary to enter into glory, he was raised to life, given a name above every name, and now he leans into sinners at every stage of their lives because even after we receive Christ, we stumble and we fall, he leans into us, he picks us up over and over and over, washes us with his righteousness and forgiveness and calls us brothers. It even says he calls us friends. He stands and intercedes for us. He promises that what he has started, he will bring to completion. And he says, you know what? From now on, call God your father because you're his children. If you can say that and nothing inside of you happens, then you're probably in despair. If there's not not an ounce of joy to go, oh, whoa, this changes something. This changes everything. Then there's probably some despair. But if you can say that, and it feels a little bit like, I, I heard a story last night of a young, a young man who accidentally shot a chicken in the neck and, and there's a little bit of blood spout, sprouting. If, if you can till the gospel and you just suddenly feel joy a little bit like, whoa, something's happening to me. It's a little bit out of control. It's a little bit crazy. It's, it's a little bit not me. Sorry, it's a little bit gross. That's okay. It's okay. Actually, when you're in despair, joy is the last thing you want. Every bit of our pride thinks God owes us. God needs to kind of show up the way we expect. Turning to pride, turning to Jesus is not, it's not possible for us to do. That's why He has to come to us. He has to prick us in the heart. And joy begins to sprout out and fill us. There's hope. If you are in despair this morning, there's great hope for you. Not because this church will give you hope. Not because my preaching will give you hope. But because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, will come and lean in, and He will come and give you hope. And if you have joy this morning, if you know exactly who Jesus is, you know exactly what He's done, and you know exactly where He's going, praise God. Praise God. Let me pray.